please make sure that your seatbelt securely fastened. At this time, I ask that all portable electronic devices be turned off. Thank you. everyone. Welcome to the uh, eighth episode of the Vagabond Exchange here in a dining room somewhere in Nashville. This is Emily. And this is William. Welcome. Welcome. And I think we should just start right out of the gate and say that... Because uh, we're so excited about this. We are. We were gushing when we got the news. Mm-hmm. The Vagabond Exchange has finally received its first email. Yes. Um, well, first real email. First, yes. First email, email from someone, someone who that, wasn't paid to send it. Exactly. Someone we do not know, uh, but we are getting to know very slowly. Like Julie Andrews. Right. And this person, uh, his, well, we won't say his name. The person we, is from We Seattle. can say his name, can't we? Well, we're going to say. His oh, first name. Right. Okay. Joe. Joe. His name's Joe. Seattle Joe. Seattle Joe is from Seattle, and uh, we're very excited. We were very excited for several reasons. One, that we got our first email. Right. Two, that it was someone from one of our favorite cities, Seattle. Right. So, um, we were going to read the email, but I don't know. Do you want to read the email that he sent to us? Um, yeah. Well. Okay. You want me to read it? Yes. You're a good reader. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, well, it says, Hi, my name is Joe, age 29, from Seattle, Washington. I love your guys' podcast. It deals with all the topics that I'm really into, traveling to different cities, on-the-road stories, movies, going to sporting events in different parts of the country, etc. The commentary is also interesting and insightful enough to hold one's attention and keep it humorous. I also like the off-the-cuff topics, such as the stories about the transients in San Francisco and insights about Vanderbilt University, etc. The movie reviews always sound pretty accurate and spot-on. I also like the two different points of view on Michael Jackson and Farrah Fawcett. Anyway, you've made a listener out of me, and I look forward to material in future episodes. Yes. So thank you, Joe, for the self-esteem boost to both of us you exactly. have no idea how <laughs> right we had no idea anyone was listening we were i was pretty sure that no one was listening as was i um so at least we have one person we have validation yes and, well we've come to discover that we've had we have a couple of listeners right but we they may not be repeat listeners like joe claims he will be but if they would like to join the ranks of Joe, who I would like to consider to be part of our Vagabond Exchange family, they could email us at vagabondexchange at gmail.com, and we would read your email on the air. Yep. Until one day we're inundated and forced to just weed out a select few. Right. So get get in now while the getting's good. Yes. I Yeah, I suggest you email earlier than later because, you know, there can only be one Seattle Joe. Exactly. So if you're from Dallas or something and you want to be Dallas, whomever. Right. You got to email first. If you're from Seattle and your name is Joe, you will be. You're just. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. From now on, to you. you'll be known as Seabiscuit. 
That's terrible. <laughs> well, you snooze, you lose. So anyway, we responded back to Joe, and Joe um, came back and said uh, how glad he was to hear back from us, and that he would like to become maybe a on the streets correspondence. To which we say, yes, yes. Joe. Yes, we would like for you to be our correspondent. Yes. And I think William has some questions for you. Well, we, yes, we, <laughs> we have a couple of questions for that we would like Joe to answer if he could. Actually, or anyone who's from Seattle that could help us with this. Yes, anyone who's spent a substantial amount of time in Seattle, um, you could answer this question as well. well. We'd like to get various opinions, actually. Absolutely. Um, because we don't know if Joe is from Seattle or whatever. An, yeah, a, a time, transplant. Right. As to, because, yeah. Your opinion would definitely, from what I can tell, be different. Right. Depending on if you grew up there or whatever, or if you're from someplace else. But anyway, and it's uh, ironic. Is it is ironic? I don't know. I don't know um, what you're going to no, say. We were talking so about the Seattle freeze last week, and then oh, yes. a few days later. It's coincidental. I don't know about ironic. Is it not? Okay. Uh, what would irony be? I got beat up by a guy, a guy named Joe um, from Seattle last week. Yeah, maybe that would be ironic. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> we were talking about the Seattle freeze last week. Uh, mm-hmm. The Seattle freeze basically being that if you are not from Seattle, then you will probably feel a certain sense of, or if you're new to the city, a certain sense of um, isolation. It's very hard to make friends. Right. Um, Break the ice. Right. Um, get in, so to speak, with people. Right. Uh, and I mentioned that to my mom today, actually. And she spent a lot of time in North Dakota when she was in the Air Force, and she said it was the same way up there. So I don't know if it's like a northern, western type thing. but Well, I think anywhere other than the south, people... Uh, I don't think people are as willing to jump right into friendship with you. Yeah. And you and I have talked about this before because I'm originally from the Midwest and I um I didn't I wouldn't say I had a hard time making friends. I had a hard time keeping friends here. Right. It just seems like in everyone's sort of quest to be congenial, they um it's hard to find sincerity in that sort of overwhelming hospitality. Right. And I'm a little jaded anyway, so well, that could have been part of the problem. But Well, this is the thing about the South. What? I think that you are right that people can be very cordial to mm-hmm. your face, but it's hard to, to tell who's being disingenuous. Right. And there, a lot of times they are being disingenuous. It's just a facade that right. they've kind of learned, that you learn growing up in this part of the country. Right. However, what I will say is that when someone is genuinely warm to you, mm-hmm. to me it feels, it never feels as good as it does when you get it in the south i don't know if it's the really the combination of the accent but there's a certain it's like being put to someone close to someone's bosom when (laughs) i feel that from people in the south really yes you've never shared that with me before yeah um but i do agree with you that it's hard to tell who's being sincere and who isn't well and i guess just being from the midwest you know, you knew automatically if somebody liked you or didn't like you. You never had to guess. Right. And that's what's difficult about being a transplant here is a lot of times you have to guess. Right. And so, who really has time for that? Exactly. <clears throat> so it would, that's probably a good thing if you go to Seattle and people are, you know, they pretty much 
Well, what I've read is that they're friendly to you. Mm-hmm. They just aren't very welcoming as far as right when you're bringing the new you guy. into the fold. Yes, right. You kind of have to push your way in. Right. And uh, I, uh, I knew a, I know a woman that moved there from Atlanta, actually. Um, so she's sort of that got that whole southern thing going. Right. Um, and she said she made friends, but she really had to actively make a choice to join and participate. So. You know, I, I don't remember what she said. She joined, like, a biking club and went to all these, like, young professional things. But she really had to work at it. You couldn't just be kind of passive. People right. aren't going to approach you and say, hey, I know that you're new in town, so right. let and me they, show you around. They do do that here, wouldn't oh, you Oh, yeah, say? absolutely. So that is uh, our number one question, Seattle Joe and in any other Seattle lights, Seattleans, mm-hmm. yeah. whatever. What is this? Is there any truth to this uh, Seattle freeze? Right. Um, Another question we had is that we're going to be there in a couple of months. Right. And so we were looking maybe for nice places, maybe off the the, the tourist kind of trail, something that's a little bit more obscure that maybe you could tell us about, a nice restaurant. Nice. We'd actually even like to maybe drive through some of the neighborhoods. Absolutely. Where do the locals go, Joe? Right. Where do you and your friends go when you're just looking for getting your kicks? Right. Where do you Shits go? and grins. <laughs> and we assume that you are uh, not crazy. Right. So, you know. That's why we're not you giving you our here. phone number. Because, <laughs> like you know, we'll stalking. keep you an email. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We don't want to hear what happens, you know. If it if it involves uh, potential for jail time, right? We don't want to know. Just kidding, Joe. I'm sure you're great. Yeah, you're probably a wonderful guy, Joe. But the other thing too is um, places to stay because last time we stayed in the Queen Anne, we stayed at the Mediterranean, mm-hmm. and it was a great neighborhood. But um, I'd like to get some ideas of where, where, um, you know, where you want young to stay. people would stay. You wanted to stay nearer to downtown. downtown. Right. But downtown didn't really seem to be as hustling and bustling as I thought it would be. Maybe it was just because we were there in the middle of the week, so that could have been why. But Right. Um, well, what is downtown, actually? Because if you think about it, we r- rode the tram. It seemed to go one way. Mm-hmm. And then when we went to the ball games, the baseball games, we seemed to go in a different direction. We, well, when we went to the ball game, we went through downtown. Okay. But when we took the monorail, we went... I, I thought that that dumped us pretty close to downtown because that was like the... The mall. Yeah. And all the... I guess the shopping district. I don't really know how Seattle's laid out. That's part of the problem is I feel more comfortable in other cities. But I didn't feel... I wasn't didn't feel as adventuresome to kind of roam around right. Seattle because I didn't know it as well. So, Joe, could you help us out? Right. Those are the two main things, I think. The Seattle freeze and... You know, for people that have been there but really want to get to the meat right. of the, the city, uh, where where could we go? Yeah, because we did a lot of touristy stuff. Well, actually, we didn't because we stayed. Um, we went to a lot of restaurants around our hotel that I didn't feel like were tourist right. traps. Moxie. That was the name of that restaurant that we went to. Moxie. <laughs> if you're ever in Seattle, sorry, it just came to me. And it was fantastic. They had... We got something that was a special. It wasn't on the menu, but it was this amazing pasta with, like, crab that they literally must have caught that morning mm-hmm. and cooked. Oh, it was fantastic. Do you agree, Joe? Do you agree that Joe, Moxie- have you been to Moxie? It's it's a couple blocks up from the Mediterranean. I wonder. 
If you haven't gone, you should go and take all of, your friends. A lot of horse shit. They, they got a, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of horse shit. Joe's never going to talk to us again after this. <laughs> they had rat droppings as soon as I walked in the door. <laughs> all right. So if you could recommend places like that, little uh, hole, not hole in a wall, but no, uh, it was a great obscure kind of uh, off the beaten path. Right. Stuff you wouldn't when you open up these traveling books, you may not necessarily see. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so we'll thank you in advance for your help. Yes, thank you, Jill. Hello, honey, this is Joe. Hello, honey, this is Joe. Hello, honey, this is Joe. Come on up, Joe. Where have you been? I'm waiting for you. Come on up, Joe. Come on up, honey. Now, Joe, what a man he must be. Um, moving on. Yep. Uh, I guess what we've discussed is that it seems like every time we do a podcast, mm-hmm. somebody ends up <laughs> passing away. away. Which is not funny. We're not laughing. No. It's just weird and kind of makes me feel like a bad person. Right. Because it, it literally was like the week after we started this podcast. People started dropping like flies. Right. Famous people. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I'm sure regular people. people do. Well, I had people. Yeah. Well. Um, so this week it was uh, guitar, electric guitar pioneer Les Paul. Right. And uh, the one good thing was it, it didn't seem untimely. I mean, mm-hmm. he was 94 years old. Right. So he led a nice full life. Right. And the um, circumstances seemed legitimate. Right. So. Um, so, I mean, what can you say about Les Paul? He's, I guess he started out kind of playing country music. Mm-hmm. Then he moved into the jazz idiom. Right. And he's played with, I mean, he played with all the big names. He played with Art Tatum, Lester Young, um... The big influence was uh, Django Reinhardt from mm-hmm. France, and so he even Django Reinhardt even gave him one of his guitars. So if you listen to him, his style is a lot like Django is Reinhardt's. It? Now Django Reinhardt only played with like three fingers because he lost two, I think, in a fire. Okay. So they, I think that's how he came up with his distinctive style. But Les Paul kind of picked up on that, and then uh, there was a period where he sang with uh, where he played with um, Mary Ford, I believe her name was. Mm-hmm. Who was a vocalist, and they had a lot yeah. of hits yep. during that period of time. And uh, he's influenced; he had an, he, a huge influence over rock musicians. Mm-hmm. And Buddy, Hall. he invented overdubbing, so the layering of sounds and sort of that echo too. Didn't he? Wasn't didn't he kind of pioneer that sound with Mary Ford? Uh, sort of the re- the reverb, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, but yeah, that the whole overdubbing and layering of sounds, I think of like, I even think of hip hop groups like Public Enemy, mm-hmm. where they just layer one sound over the other, right? And you kind of you don't think that that goes all the way back to somebody like he's ninety two years old. I mean, that's ninety four, I think. Oh, was he ninety four? Yeah. Okay. His mom lived, I think, to like a hundred, hundred and one. So, um, so and he had he had arthritis. He played with arthritis. I mean, he was he was a tough cookie. Yep. Yeah. And he looked, even at the towards the end of his life, he was full of life. He was still performing in jazz mm-hmm. clubs. And he, I listened to an uh, in an old interview with him on NPR, and he was talking about the um, the difference in money that he made when he switched from kind of playing rock music to jazz. He said he went from making like a thousand dollars a week to like eight dollars a week or right. something like that. But that he loved it so much, it didn't really right matter. Well, I, I think it was probably more was re- rewarding for him right. to, to play that. Um, because I think, and he even played with uh, Bing Crosby. Bing Crosby mm-hmm. heard him and then took him on. And so that was, you know, 
that got him out, garnered him a lot of attention. But anyway, I just yeah, you know, I have admiration for anyone who not only starts out, you know, one way, but completely kind of reinvents themselves along the way and is over con- and over again, too. right? Yeah. Constantly finding ways to uh, improve themselves, right? So uh, the blues musicians that admire him, BB King loves him. So, yep, rest in peace, Les Paul. Yes, you'll be missed. Yep. Here's the man that changed the music for all of us, the great one himself, the wizard of Waukesha, Mr. Les Paul. We only saw two movies this week, which is... (laughs) (laughs) Well, we won't really only ever see two movies, but sometimes we skip when we record, so it requires that we review... More movies. That's true. But we only have two for this week. Yep. We saw uh, Thursday afternoon. We left work early. Mm-hmm. And luckily we, we saw this because Thursday was the last day it was going to be Oh, there. really? Was it? Yeah. I didn't know that. So we saw Tyson, the documentary Tyson, mm-hmm. about Mike Tyson, kind of uh, starts, it's like a biography, but it starts yeah. with him at the beginning of his life when he was kind of a rough kid running the streets in uh, New York. Was it Brooklyn? Yeah, Brooklyn. And robbing people. Mm-hmm. Not not a very... Beating people up, basically. Well, right. it sounded like he'd been picked on a lot, and then he fought back one time and realized he... Kind of had empowered him, spot. I yeah. guess. Yeah. And then he started hustling. Right. And he, he had to go to a uh, juvenile, like, detention home or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's, at that point, that's where he kind of got introduced to boxing. Yeah. And um, eventually made cuss... Right. which I don't know anything about Mike Tyson, and so for the first, like, probably 30 minutes of the movie, I thought he was calling him custom model, <laughs> <laughs> until they showed, like, a like a newspaper clipping or something that said custom model, and uh, I was like, why do they call him custom model? Like, I thought they were going to tell us why the nickname existed, and uh, then I realized it was cuss diamato. Right. So, sorry about that. Right. And then it kind of shows, I guess, custom D'Amato didn't live long enough to see him get the championship. Um, But the documentary goes into him winning, becoming heavyweight champion, champion, unifying the belt, um, and then kind of the troubles that money, a lot of money can bring when you're young, immature, and not accustomed to having and when he it kind of once he kind of lost cuss, it seemed like he didn't have anybody to look after him. Yeah, there was and no. So there wasn't anybody like protecting his interest. It was just he was like their their little product or something. Like he, I, I felt like he kind of got pimped out there for a while. He right. reminded me of like a Britney Spears kind of thing. Like yeah, the people around her exploited her. The people around him exploited him. Yeah. That of, seems to happen. I'm because you think Michael Jackson, the same thing yep. happened to him. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, and so we, I guess he's now he's at the point of, towards the end of the film, he's kind of at the point of redemption, mm-hmm. trying to build himself back up in a life away from, and this is a thing I almost cried during this part, yeah. because when I was a kid, I remember Muhammad Ali, I remember Larry Holmes, mm-hmm. all these guys, but none of them were truly my heroes because they were from like my dad's time. Right. Muhammad Ali was kind of at the end of his career when I started watching his fights. Right. When Mike Tyson came along, I was in my late teens, mm-hmm. you know, 
And he's just not going to, he just seemed invincible to me. Yeah. Like no one could beat this guy. And so for those first couple of years, he was just like, I had him, I know, I had him up on a pedestal. Yeah. So um, when Buster Douglas came and knocked him out, that was like having to win. Even watching it again, and they show this during the documentary, the Buster yeah. Douglas fight, it's like having to win just taken out of me. It's like having you, watching your hero be toppled. Right. So um, towards the end of the fight, when he's like, I, or the documentary, when he's like, I don't have the heart for this anymore. Mm-hmm. And I remember hearing that interview, but, it, you know, it's just like, yeah, it's over and I'm done. And yeah. That's I don't know. There was something like a door closing again. Well, did you did you ha- hold out hope that he might return? No, I mean I knew he was done when he fought Holyfield. Yeah. When that when he kind of had, had that meltdown. Right. I guess what I didn't realize during that Holyfield thing was that he was. Or I forgot was that he was being headbutted. That I didn't realize that either, and it kind of pissed me off. Right. Because I think everybody kind of sided with. Holyfield, Holyfield, like he was a victim, right? But and he it was very clear. I I thought it was pretty clear that he was he doing was, it on purpose. Yeah. Okay. Well, he but maybe that been, maybe that was just me. You know, I don't know anything about boxing. So. Right. At the time, I had a little bit of or a lot of admiration for Holyfield because mm-hmm. to have something like that happen to you. Yeah. Uh, his reaction. He's very angry, but he didn't go after right. Tyson. Right. Um, but still, when that. After that fight, and I remember the night I watched that fight and the people I was with. Yeah. After that was over, I kind of stopped following because it was too painful to watch. He was in this kind of decline. Right, right. Um, so, but anyway, the, the documentary itself, and we're you and I are coming at it from two different perspectives. As usual. Right. <laughs> so, uh, what did you think? Um, I thought it was pretty interesting, actually. Um I wouldn't say I begrudgingly went and saw it, but it wasn't obviously on the top of my list of things to see. But I liked um, I liked hearing the story of how he started because I really didn't know much about that. And I really didn't have an awareness of Mike Tyson until the, all of that stuff with Robin Givens started. Right. So I only knew him as kind of a, <laughs> an inarticulate case. thug, basically. <laughs> but um, it was... I, I don't know. There's kind of an art to boxing that I appreciate a little bit more now just watching him. And it was so effortless. So I kind of appreciate the the skill that's behind it now because the, it's not just some, like, meathead sport. There's a certain beauty to it. Absolutely. That I don't get it's with the ultimate almost. fighting thing. I don't get no, that same feeling. Exactly. But, right, it's, it's like a dance. And there's uh, strategy there and... But to watch him fight, he was like he was a beautiful person. I mean, right. It's just you know drenched in sweat, but he's just this power right. behind him. Right. He did use a word a lot that will probably become a part of our vocabulary: what uh, was that? skullduggery. Oh, skullduggery! <laughs> yes. And he called more than one person a wretched swine of a person, right. which made me laugh. And one of those people being Don King, who I can't stand. So I was glad to see him take that swipe yeah. at Don King. Who probably deserved that. He's another guy that kind of exploited him, I think. Right. Yeah. He's just yeah. But it just made me sad. I mean, by the end, I just felt I felt like maybe he could try to have a, a better life now but it just made me kind of sad for him yeah the saddest thing is like during the documentary he mentions his kids yeah and this is before his daughter exodus um died tragically yeah um and he mentions her and just to think that with everything he's been through and some of it's self-imposed but still with right. everything he's been through just to have this one other thing yeah kind of and he seems when he talks about um, the mother, I don't know if she was the mother of all of his children or some of them, 
um, the woman that they talked about toward the end. Right. He seemed very sincere about her and very sad about the fact that they couldn't make it work. Mm-hmm. And that's where I felt my heart kind of softened towards him. He just seems like a guy who for, doesn't really know how to love but wants it so badly. And so that's what... Right. And, you know, everyone that he kind of loved gave up on him and or left him in some capacity or screwed him over. Right. I can't imagine how that would... And you have to admire the humility because... Absolutely. I mean, he could have ripped apart Robin Givens, mm-hmm. but basically the, what he said was she was young, I was young. He, it was like he held no grudge against her. Right, right. And I, that's what was kind of interesting because I think everyone sees him as just kind of this ox. And, you know, he's had all of these public encounters with people where he's just spurred off some stream of obscenities and ridiculous antics but right. he genuinely like he he seems to not be like a really bad guy right like he seems to kind of get it and he seems to have grown some from his mistakes right and he even explains it when he went off in that kind of litany of mm-hmm. just tirades or whatever that it was it was born out of insecurity out of his own right. insecurity um but it is entertaining to watch him, like, he was yelling at some dude in the crowd. <laughs> and he was yeah. just, oh. But, it, yeah, he was talking about eating. Who's, he was talking about eating some, maybe Lennox Lewis's children. I'll yeah, it was children. Lennox, Lennox Lewis's yeah. children, yeah. So, um, well, so Tyson, what would you? Oh, right. So we need to introduce this. Um, so today as we do on every other podcast we will attempt to um get as close to the rating on imdb.com by giving our personal review on a scale of one to ten i would say i'd give it a 7.3 um 7.5 okay Uh, i'm surprised though that you gave it a that high really yeah the other thing that I liked about it was that Carmelo Anthony produced it, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> I, I was like, it. what's Carmelo Anthony doing? I but they must be that. friends or something, right? Yeah. Unless there's somebody else named Carmelo Anthony, which I doubt. Uh, let's see. Tyson. 7.7. 7.7. There we go. Yeah. What's interesting is when you load these things up on uh, IMDb, they have these photos of people. Right. And it's like Martha Plimpton. What does she have to do? I'm yeah, guessing she was at the premiere. None of these people were in the movie. Anthony Anderson, Christopher Walken, who looks about 107 <laughs> years old. Who's the girl in the end? Uh, I don't know who that is. Paz. Paz de la Huerta? Who are you? I don't recognize. Hmm. I don't recognize any of those movies. No. Anyway, she was at the premiere. So, so good for there her. There you go. Yep. Was Carmelo Anthony there, I wonder? With Lala? I'm sure he was. Are they married? Uh, They were engaged for a long time. I I think they're probably married. Um, So yesterday after... Oh, there's a picture with him and Joe Frazier. I didn't know who that was. Uh, We saw... Yesterday afternoon, we saw The Goods. Yes. With uh, Jeremy Piven. um, James Brolin. James Brolin. Ving Rhames. Ving Rhames. Um, who's the female? I don't know. She always plays kind of a second care, a, a comedic relief kind of character. I okay. don't know who that was. And, and then uh, the guy the from... Guy was. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, the balding guy. Right. I don't know. 
and the Korean guy who was because he's been a lot, he was in the Hangover. We'll we'll know in a second, but we yeah. can't look it up right now. There were a lot of people in it that were funny, but right. we don't know who they are. Yeah. Well, and there's a and I can say this because I've seen it and I saw it in a commercial before we saw the movie. But Will Ferrell. Kinda oh has yeah, a cameo. Will Ferrell. Yep. Yep. Um, so you want to. Yeah, um, basically The Goods is about a group of kind of renegade car salesmen that go from city to city and help out these sort of small independent car dealerships when they're having trouble moving cars off their lot. And so it follows this group as they go to Temecula, California, which was funny to me because I had a friend in college from Temecula, so that made me laugh. But um, Traffic. <laughs> but... Um, Basically, James Brolin owns this car dealership um, that's kind of flailing, so he calls Jeremy Piven and crew, and they come out to Temecula to make, do a three-day Fourth of July sale and move these cars off the lot, and all kinds of insanity ensues. Right. And who's the blonde woman in that, who's on My Boys, who played the love interest? Oh, she played I don't his know. daughter. We'll have to look that up. And then the guy, uh, Chris Robinson. What is, no, what is his name from uh, The Office? Plays Daryl, I think. He works. He was a DJ. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what his name is, but he was funny too. Right. Um. So yeah. I. I um, yeah, lukewarm. Yeah. I, I have to say, it was. It, there were some funny parts, but there was nothing. Um, it didn't bowl. Me. I wasn't. There were only a few scenes that bowled me over with laughter. Right. Right. And I got to tell you, those scenes were the Will Ferrell scenes. Yes, those were funny. Uh, those were very funny. It makes me kind of crave another Will Ferrell. He's been kind of on the down low, mm-hmm. and his movies have been you know so so lately. But it's like that's classic Will Ferrell. So, um, but the, the the rest of the movie, I mean, it was a nice little comedy, but nothing awesome or great. No. Um. A lot of the stuff that's funny you saw in the There were two guys from The Office. The guy who played the Indies in there, too. And yeah. Alan Thicke has, Alan a, has Thicke a small part, too. With very nice hair, by the way. With very thick hair. Yeah. Um, sorry, I just got excited. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, it was all right. I thought it was going to be funnier, so right. I, was a little more dis- I was a little disappointed. But there were a couple lines in the movie, and I won't give them away but they're ones that you and i have private jokes about so i think that's what made me laugh oh the uh pretty pretty hard about it but that's about it yeah um so and i like jeremy piven i mean he's he's yeah he's yeah he has a certain um presence whenever he's on screen yes Um, but yeah i would say wait till dvd you won't miss anything yeah this isn't a must-see absolutely no um so I would give it... Yeah, what would you give it? You go first. Okay, I'd give it a 5.5. I'd give it a 6 simply... I'd give it an extra point five simply because of the... Actually, I'll give it a 5.5. I'd give it a 5, but I'll give it a 5.5 just because Will Ferrell made me laugh so much. Really? Yeah. See, I was going to give it a 4.8. Now okay. you're making me feel bad. No. <laughs> it's, a nice, it's not that far apart. Um, well, Roger Ebert actually gave it three stars, so... <sighs> See, what's wrong with Roger Ebert? I don't know. He's getting old and sentimental. I guess. Um, let's Either that or movies are getting shittier, so he has to, like, lower his standards. All right. The goods. Didn't make that much money this Mm-mm. weekend, either. 6.1. Well, there you go. So, 
It only has 551 votes. So, so. <laughs> only 551 people saw it. Right. Okay, so wh- who are all these people that we're talking about? Uh, David Ketchner. Kitchener. Kitchener. Catherine Hahn. She plays Babs. And Ed Helms from The Office. Jordana Spiro. She's the one that's in on My Boys on whatever, TBS or something. Wendy Malick. Oh, Rob Riggle, too, from uh, The oh, Daily Show. Yeah. I forgot about him. Um, yeah, then- Wendy Malick. I forgot about her. Hmm. Greg Robinson. That, okay. that was the DJ. You yeah. were close. Yep. So there you go. Um, we did. Uh, we could mention uh, one or a couple of previews, maybe. But I remember one is yes. a serious man. The the new upcoming Coen Brothers movie. Right. So whenever there's a Coen Brothers film, William's I just, little heart just pitter patters out of his chest. Instant chubby. <laughs> I love the Coen Brothers. He so. does love the Coen Brothers. Yeah. And there was another one, too, that looked interesting. Uh, oh, the... Uh, oh, the one, the science Bronco, fiction yeah. one. What was the name of that thing? It was... Uh, I don't even remember. We can look it up. Um, yeah, but basically it's about uh, it's about an author, of a science fiction author, who runs like a... Net, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A workshop of sorts. And he's kind of at the end of his career, and one of his students turns in a, a draft, and he steals it for his own, and it looks very, very funny. Gentleman Broncos yes, is what it's called. By the director of Napoleon Dynamite and Nacho Libre. Right. I never saw Nacho Libre. Was that funny? That was funny. I took my dad to see that on Father's Day, and he <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed it. Your, dad, your dad's funny when he laughs, too. He's like... <laughs> It, laughter, like I think that must happen when you're older. Yeah, because my dad does the same thing. Yeah, because I was thinking my dad, when he laughs real hard, sometimes comes out of his chair. Yeah, and your dad. <laughs> there's a certain commercial if you guys haven't seen it. Uh, what what's it for? It's a Smirnoff, um, Smirnoff Ice commercial or something. Right. And the people are like spray painting a building or something. Right. They and make they, it into like a weird kind of nightclub thing, and then they have like mirrors and lamps on their heads and right. go in this big purple building but the spray painting part your dad really got a kick out of yeah it. he enjoys that was very nice he enjoys it thoroughly yeah. my style is impetuous my defense is impregnable and i'm just ferocious i want your heart i want to eat his children praise be to allah so anyway we uh we're doing the the show a little bit uh later this we usually do the show on Sundays, right? And uh, usually early in the afternoon or later in the afternoon, three or four o'clock in the afternoon, right? Today we wanted to wait until we saw sixty minutes and the interview with Michael Vick, right? Former Atlanta Falcons quarterback, quarterback. and former detainee at Leavenworth <laughs> Prison in is that in Texas? Where's Leavenworth? But anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, for for those of you who may not know, Michael Vick was <laughs> was sent to prison for what two years. This is you, Helen Keller, that we're talking to, who yes. isn't aware of the whole Michael Vick. Yes, who's yes. getting this in Braille? Right. Not that we're making fun of deaf people. I just want to put that out there. It's in Kansas. Oh, Kansas. I knew it was somewhere in the south. Well, actually, there's yeah, maybe it isn't in Kansas. Um. Yes, Kansas. Kansas. Um, but basically, he was sent to prison for uh, dog fighting charges, o- operating and and owning a dog fighting establishment, and also pretty cruel mistreatment to animals. Right. But he's out. 
and and hopefully rehabilitate it. Right, right. It's um, actually been signed now to the New York Jets. Is that Phil- right? Philadelphia, Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles. I get them mixed up because they're both green. Yeah, right? and in the Northeast, sure. And they're both green. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I have to say that this is a very touchy subject. So there's like two things that you really don't talk about with friends and relatives or whatever. It's religion and politics. Right. But when it comes to pets and animals, people get very... I had a whole Facebook like debate really? on this whole thing once you got signed with the Eagles because some people were very irate about the fact that the Eagles would sign Michael Vick. They call him an uh, evil person, not even a human being for the things. Really? Yeah. So I personally think mm-hmm. that he deserves another chance. Um, I think what he did was a horrible thing. Mm-hmm. At the same time, and even when he, the way he spoke about it on the 60 Minutes episode, he first came into contact with dog fighting when he was eight years old. That's what he says. Right. Which I believe. Right. I believe that too. I also yeah. believe that it becomes ingrained that this is not wrong. something that's truly wrong. Right. Which all of us have encountered that where we, we've grown up believing one thing and then at some point someone sh- shines a light on it and says, you know, this is wrong. This is why it's wrong. And so it either clicks in your head that, oh, you know, I didn't realize until now there's a certain ignorance there. Mm-hmm. And I, I truly believe that that's what he had. He Because there are things that people do that may be illegal. Right. But, and I'm not equating this with killing animals, but there are people that smoke weed and do drugs and they know it's mm-hmm. illegal, but it's, you know, it's a part of their culture. Right. So I do believe that he he didn't realize that what he was doing was really wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, whether he at this point really believes that or feels the impact of what he did uh, as far as hurting or killing animals, I'm I'm still not sure he can realize that. Right. Um, but I, I do believe that he deserves a second chance, and I do believe that. You know, when there's community service and he's going to these schools, I think he can be productive Mm -hmm. in society. I'd much rather have him out um, than still in prison. I think he's he's paid his dues. Right, right. Now, whether or not he should be working, playing football, you can't blame Michael Vick for that. No. If I'm getting out of prison and somebody says, you can go work at McDonald's or you can get paid $1.6 million dollars. To go back to your old job. Right. I'm going back to my old job. Whether it's fair or not, I'm not arguing that. Of course it's not fair. Right. But he's presented with this opportunity. It would be dumb of him not to take it. Right. (laughs) No, I'm listening. I want you to be able to finish your whole thought. Um, And the only other thing is, and this is the argument I had with other people, is, you know, I hope you're a vegetarian if you're telling me all this. That's a very good point. Because... There are things that happen to the animal, to chickens and cows, mm-hmm. that you don't see. Mm-hmm. But just like it was a part of his culture, that dog fighting wasn't really that, that wrong. It's right. a part of your culture to eat cows and chickens and whatever, whereas other cultures see... Who are uh, killed, by the way. It's not like they just die right, of natural causes. Right, exactly. Like, by, by a human hand. Right. There are other cultures that, that, worship, well, that see us killing cows and can't 
think it's barbaric. Yeah. And there are other cultures that kill, that you know, kill cats and dogs. Right. As a Sustenance. source, right? Right. So the the fact is, is that we see cats and dogs as family, mm-hmm. as parts of our family, and so the fact that somebody would kill them, even if he was, because people go, well, yeah, but they're not electrocuting cows and pigs or whatever. Even if he was killing them in a humane way and eating them, right. I don't think that your reaction would be any different. And I'm not really sure that, you know, like chopping off an animal's head or, or even like if we're talking about fishing, dropping a, a sharp implement into the water and yanking it through the jaw of, a, of an animal is humane, any more humane than shooting or electrocuting an animal. Right. So so I think it's it's easy for us to be judgmental and hypocritical in that way. Especially when a celebrity is involved. Right. It's very easy. Yep. It's, yeah, it's very easy to point a finger and not realize that you may be doing, or at least you're complicit in doing, you know, if you're eating the food knowing right. people like KFC or whatever are not really following humane ways of you know, killing these animals, then you kind of have to take a look at yourself as well. Right. Well, yeah, I, I actually agree <laughs> with you for the most part. Okay. And I think the point, uh, here here's where it, I sort of, I guess not side with Michael Vick, but the point of prison is to rehabilitate. Right. So why, if, if everyone's stance is, if, not just for Michael Vick, but for anybody that, that harms another being, that they can never be better, then what, why, do we, why do we have sentences? Why don't they, we just put them in prison forever? Right. Because obviously you're saying that the prison system isn't working and we're pumping all kinds of tax money into that under the, the pretense that it's rehabilitative. Um, what's the point of that? Right. That's the first thing. And the second thing is um, I think it's very easy when we're talking about animals because a lot of people, people have two different stances on, on animals. Some people feel think that animals have a soul and some people think that animals are just another organism, not like humans. But here, here, here's the thing that gets me, and it goes back to your your uh, vegetarianism argument. I see a lot of people lobby for the rights of cute pets, cats, dogs, gerbils, right. whatever. Nobody's going to bat for like rats, exactly, or you know, alligators or cows. You know, if they right. serve a purpose, then everyone turns the other cheek, just like you were talking about eating meat cows are not cows are are born raised and killed specifically for one purpose i and i'm i'm a meat eater so uh, you know i'm i'm pointing as much to myself as i am anyone else here but you can't you cannot in good conscience sit there and eat a steak and then cry foul to michael vick who has served two years in in a penitentiary for mistreating animals. Right. You know, he, he has paid his debt. I don't think that that... I, don't, I, I guess I'm not sure what more people are wanting. Should he never, ever have a chance at happiness again because he made a mistake? I mean, if everybody... If that was a rule for everybody, nobody would nobody would have any kind of life. Right. You're, you're in the confines of your little home... Exactly. ...where your sins aren't exposed to the rest of the world. Exactly. Uh, so it's very easy. The, the fact is, he's going to be paying for this for a very long time. Right. He's out of prison, but he's still in prison because every time he walks on that football field, whatever stadium they're in, 
He's going to get booed. He's going to get booed. It could be people could throw things at him. I'm he sure could, he's gotten he could death be hurt. Threats. I'm sure. Right. You know those those PETA people don't fuck around. But he the, the other thing too is that um, I totally just lost my train of thought on this. Sorry, go ahead with what you're going to say. Oh, well, I was going to say that you know if if you're a believer in God or whatever, then mm-hmm. you believe that the spirit of God is in all living things. Right. So. You know, when you slam your shoe against some little spider or whatever without a second thought, right? How is the life of that spider any different than the life of a dog or a cat or you know? Um, I just think it's it's like I said, it's a part of your family. But you know, the question I would ask if you're going to and one thing is Dante Stallworth, mm-hmm. this uh, uh, NFL player who uh, got convicted of manslaughter for killing a guy, right? He got 30 days, I believe, in jail. Right, exactly. And he was under the influence of drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. You know, where's the outrage on that? Right. Um, because are you equating animal life with human life? Or are you putting it above human life? And when I ask you that, then I would ask, you know, if you had a choice, if there's a drowning baby mm-hmm. and there's a drowning puppy, who are you going to save? I think a lot of people would pick the puppy. Do you really I, think I really so? do. I really do. Well, then there's a problem there. And that's exactly it, though. If you put though. animal life over human life, and humans are the ones that have dominion over animals. Right. Uh, you know, animals aren't going to be having human fights. No. It, it's humans that have the ability to do that. You need to make sure that you raise humans in the right way. Right. To know that this is wrong, and then they will treat animals the way that they should be treated and exactly. respected. Exactly. So you have to, I think you have to put, you have to respect all life, but you, you have to put human, human life, life before animal life just because of our hierarchy, I guess, on the, the food chain or whatever. No, I think you're right. And I think, um, I think as far as, when we're talking about crimes in general, I mean, to look at this and say, oh, well, he was cruel to a helpless being and, and that should be, you know, that, that offense should be punishable, that that should be equal to, to child abuse, that should be as punishable as any, any crime against a human. I guess my, my question is, there's a lot of celebrities who have had drug charges and things like that. If you're not able to see that a drug-related crime affects humanity in the same sort of domino effect that I think murder or even, you know, animal fighting does. Right. In that, you know, if I go buy drugs from someone, how do I know that that he's not, uh, first of all, that, that someone might not kill him on the way back because he's carrying drugs or might hurt his family because he is a drug dealer or might have his kids taken away because he's a drug dealer. Right. There's greater consequences than I think just what's right in front of you. Right. It's, it, it's like the to catch a predator thing. Right. Like we were watching a couple of weeks ago. These guys get six months, nine exactly. months. Not not even the same sentence as uh, Michael Vick. But these kids that they're preying upon, you know, years from now when they end up shooting up some school and people mm-hmm. go, well, what, you know, what was going on? What was wrong with this kid? Right. You know, we were all a part of our experiences right. from the past. And already, you know, what we do in the future a lot of times is a product of that. Right. Or when they abuse animals. You know what I mean? Like, it sounded to me, especially from the interview I just heard with Michael Vick, he's very much a victim of his sort of circumstance. He grew up in what sounded like a not-so-nice neighborhood. I'm sure people were violent towards each other. So if that's what he saw day in and day out, 
granted, I know when you become an adult, you should know the difference between right and wrong. But a lot of people just genuinely do not. Well, it's like he said, he saw these cops and the cops had no problem with it. Exactly. So why would he think that there's anything wrong with it? And and people who live in the projects and sort of like this smashed together urban housing don't always, you know, we grew, I grew up in the woods, basically. And we had dogs the whole time I was growing up and they were part of our family and they lived with us and we loved them. And I think sometimes my parents spent more money on the dogs than they did on us. But that was my experience. I wouldn't go kick a dog across the room right now. But, you know, I've been to people's houses where their dogs were, you know. Right. So. Well, it's 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 cultural. And I don't even think you can uh, limit it to, like, the, the projects. Because, right. like, this film we just saw, Tyson exactly. owned all these pigeons that he loved. Right. And, you know, that's when he actually, I believe, got in his first fight was when someone abused or killed his pigeon exactly but even the, you know even this this person that antagonized him by killing his pigeon i'm sure he didn't think that that of that pigeon as a human being you know of a, of a like living breathing thing people it's the way that you're kind of brought up to think about pets and right. animals, animals and their insects. place exactly exactly I mean, there, there are people out there that value anything that has life right within right whereas if I see a book, I try to work. I'm trying to work against <laughs> this because we, it's the whole Ray Bradbury thing. I, I think story, The Sound of Thunder, I believe, where the, they go in the past. Um, they take a tra- time traveling trip to the past, and they say, "Don't step off the path." They are hunters, right? And one guy steps off the path, and he steps on a butterfly, and it completely changes the future. It's just you know one little thing, right? Even that, you, though you think it's insignificant, you know, can have a big effect. And I so do I, kill mosquitoes, though. I do. Do you? Yeah. Why well, kill? I'm, I can't let a mosquito go. I'm sorry. Yeah. Everything has a. Per- I mean, it's, if I saw a snake in my house, I'd chop that thing up. You know, <laughs> like it was an onion or something. I'm not going <laughs> to let it go. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not perfect. I understand that, but I'm, I'm. I do understand that everything has a purpose. Right. And you know, I do think it has. There's a spirit some kind of spirit there so i don't know i ultimately i say michael vick he he's paid his dues yes he's got tony dungy who i admire greatly i mean tony dungy's son killed himself right uh, a year and a half ago or whatever right this is a very spiritual man um, who's done a lot of work with a lot of people who are probably not rehabilitative not able to be rehabilitated right. he goes does a lot of work in prisons and I don't think he would take on that task if he didn't think there was some redemption within Michael Vick. Right. I mean, he's putting his integrity integrity on the line Mm -hmm. for this. And he's going to be his mentor throughout the season. So... And I think the fact that Michael Vick has to work, you, you said you'd mentioned something about the fact that you didn't know if Michael Vick had still made the connection between the fact that what he did actually had hurt animals. But I think that realization will sort of come in some of his work with the Humane Society. Right. It sounds like he's got, I, I, I couldn't quite tell what his obligation was to them now, but it sounds like he's going to be working pretty closely to educate young people on training animals well and the effects of animal abuse and things like that right so we will be there's a lot to watch this uh, upcoming football season but michael vick will definitely be one of those things right and i wonder if you know a lot of philadelphia uh 
my mom lives in Philadelphia, and she's told yes. me, and I've read that a lot of people, residents, have sold their tickets to putting them, putting them on eBay because they don't want to go to their games. They don't want to cheer for Michael Vick. But I wonder... If he goes out there and starts winning games, mm-hmm. I think if the attitude change. will change. And I think I think uh, the, I think his ability to win games will write the headline for the story. Either he will be redeemed and he will go down in history as being this guy that just turned it all around, or he will forever be the dog a-hole. killer. Yeah. Yep. Yep. He had the world by the ass. Remember that? <laughs> yes. Uh, William and I were enjoying a San Francisco Giants game. It was the first trip that we took to San Francisco together. And um, there was a gr- group of individuals behind us that had to have been somewhere from the East Coast because they had this very body accent. But their conversation, I don't think you and I talked at all during the game because we were listening to this conversation. Right. And the only time they were quiet was when they were eating. Right. But at one point in time, <laughs> they were having a conversation about Michael Vick. And the woman that was sitting behind us said, I mean... This guy's got the world by the ass. I mean, what more could you want? <laughs> and for some reason, I think we both thought that was very, that was, very funny. Yes, because I've never heard that uh, that Ex- phrase before, that right. expression. So, and this was right after the Michael Vick thing. So yeah. you think that was, that was 80, two thousand seven? Um, yep. So, yeah, I think it's time to try to move on. Right. And, yeah. and as far as it being fair or unfair for him to play football, you know, probably not. But it's it's a it's a reality of the situation. I mean, if he had been a construction worker and he'd gotten in trouble for the same thing, he probably would have gotten out of prison and gone back into construction work. That that hopefully you because you kind of think you wonder if these people that have how hard it is criminal records. Right. Yeah, yeah. And you're uh, right. It, 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 it that part of it, he probably he's very blessed to have this opportunity. He's lucky. But you, if you want to get angry, you get angry with the NFL, exactly, like Michael Vick, because exactly. any other person. Who would have a chance to make a substantial amount of money right out of prison. Right. Especially illegally. after he's claimed bankruptcy. He has a family. You know, right. it's not like this is just a single guy. Right. This, and, and this will be a true test of his character if he's yep. able to All actually. All eyes are on Michael Vick. Yeah. Yeah. To see if he can turn it around. Do you think he'll, uh, I wonder if they play Cleveland. Because, you know, Cleveland has a dog pound. Oh, yeah. The the greyhound thing. No, the dog pound at the football oh, stadium. Oh, do they really? Yeah. Well, no, these guys that wear masks and oh, wear hel- uh, it's like the, the dog pound, like I see. with all the fans. Yeah, are. yeah. They probably don't, but huh? Yeah. Speaking of Cleveland, yeah. Just but they have a whole Les Paul permanent exhibit at the Rock and Roll. Did we see yeah, that when we were I there? I don't think we did. I don't remember that. I think we were. But that museum on- was huge. I I don't feel like I even got to scratch the surface of it when right. we were there. So we should maybe we should go back at some point. We should go back. So. Cleveland has a lot to offer, I think. It does. It's a nice... Actually, there's certain cities that I find daunting. Yes. Detroit was one. You felt really? Yeah. I never wanted to go to Detroit. Oh, the first time. Right. Yeah. Chicago was another. We were about to go to Chicago. (laughs) And Cleveland was one. I'm curious to hear why you feel these... Is it a fear because you think they're kind of like gritty or is it because... Detroit and Cleveland, yeah. Really? Gritty, yeah, and just cold and... Well, yeah, that's yeah, true. crime and, you know, you get an image in your head. Right. Chicago, and I've been to Chicago, but I haven't really been to Chicago. Mm-hmm. I guess just the hustle and bustle and, I don't know, just I feel like maybe I'd be overwhelmed by the city, but I'll see. You will see. We'll take it easy. Yeah. I won't run you around too much. Okay. <laughs> Thank you.
Well, that was a quick, is, quick little. Uh, yeah, but I mean, we went we're by fast. Almost had an hour, so yeah. So, I so. Uh, so to ca- to cap off, yep. thank you, Seattle Joe, for your email. You made our week slash month slash hopefully not year because hopefully we'll get lots more emails. But yes, we would love to have you as our honorary Vagabond Exchange member. And if you would like to join the ranks of Seattle Joe, feel free to email us at vagabondexchange at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. And we will be back next week, right? Uh, yes, we will. Yes. And we'll have a review of Inglorious Bastards. Yes. This is yes. the one film I've been looking forward to all summer long. <laughs> so get ready. Yep. So we will see you guys next week. All right. Bye. Bye. Before I leave you, make sure you have all of your personal belongings. Use caution when opening the overhead bins, as items may have shifted during the flight. We thank you for flying with us today. We truly appreciate your business and look forward to serving you on a future flight.